Welcome to Place by Design. You're watching a podcast dedicated to the exploration of places in which we live, why they matter, and how we plan them. This is recorded live in Southwest Michigan, and I'm your host, Garth Woodruff. To place by design. Last week we talked to Mark and spent some time discussing a handful of things, mainly creative work and how that is uh, reacting to the current pandemic and the ability to deliver that online. I cut it short because he and I moved into placemaking, which is one of the cornerstones of this particular podcast, and it had me thinking a little bit this week. Um, and it was reminding me of the last economic downturn and the fact that during that downturn in the summer, a buddy of mine and I decided to pick up a side gig to deliver a sailboat from Norfolk, Virginia to England. And we had our struggles going up the East Coast. It was a junky boat, 36 foot SNS, which is a great boat, but it was old, uh, leaky, and was bought by uh, a Swedish guy, Sverker, and he wanted to flip it over in Europe for a profit and um, so we struggled away up the coast and at one point um, we pop into Newfoundland probably about four weeks into it we stop in the Newfoundland just to make into St. John's to make a few repairs we were getting beat up the whole time the storms were just trouncing us and 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 the trick is uh, when you're delivering a small boat like that across the Atlantic is the the icebergs have a tendency to melt in spring and come down and flood into the North Atlantic they stop doing that once things warm up enough, somewhere around June, early July. And at the same time, there's at the base of the Atlantic, there's hurricanes coming up, which start around the end of July. And the goal is to get yourself up there and then launch yourself over toward Europe before the ice, well, after the icebergs have uh, kind of stopped their um, migration and before the storms kick in for the summer. So we were in St. John's for like maybe 24 hours because we were hitting the window and we wanted to get across there. The storms were just raging. None of the fishing boats were out. Uh, none of the ice uh, observatory boats were out or water collection boats were out or anything like that. Um, and we launched ourselves off into the Atlantic Ocean and we just get the crap beat out of us. For it. And we came into St. John's getting the crap beat out of us. So at that point in our delivery, um, it was kind of, uh, work as usual. Um, and after a couple of days, it kind of warms up a little bit. We dry out, we dry our clothes out. It's freezing. I mean, here it is July and you're in long johns, foul weather gear, multiple layers, gloves, and you're shaking, you know, the wind and the storms. It's just ridiculous. But then you get this high that comes through and that slows down and you motor a little bit and it calms down a little bit and everybody warms up and everybody's spirits lift. Um, and it's just my buddy and I, um, and we were probably a couple of weeks into the delivery. The high was about to come to an end. We knew that there was another low that was going to come through and we get an email from our weather router. Um, that is ominous, right? He's, uh, every day for about 10 to 15 seconds, we turn the sat phone on and it's connected to our computer and it would batch these emails in a very small data content file and shoot them out and collect new emails in for 15 seconds and it turns off right 
And um, he sends this email and if his job is to say, hey, there's a storm in Montana that's gonna hit Ohio today and it's gonna be on the coast tomorrow and you're gonna start to see winds out of the south at 33 miles an hour and then you should probably go over here or over here to try to like either take advantage of or avoid or whatever these uh, weather patterns that are marching across the Atlantic. And his email reads something along the lines and it, I'm sure his email was completely loving and caring and, and uh, knowledge content, but when I was done reading it, all I, all I could really hear was, you're gonna die, right? Um, there's a storm coming across that was going at like 20 miles an hour. I thought you were gonna be in England by the time it actually got out there. Once it hit the coast, it went from moving at 20 miles an hour to 60 miles an hour, and now, instead of you beating it to England, it's gonna beat you to England, and it'll probably catch up to you right about where the continental shelf to Ireland and England uh, starts right and so that you've got deep ocean the continental shelf is a, a layer of land that comes off the land masses and when wind and waves hit that continental shelf they get really sharp and steep and angry and and, and there is a goodly number of shipwrecks in that area for those reasons and he said you're basically going to get trounced you really need to like buckle down hurry it up Batten down the hatchets. I remember him saying that, like it, like we were in some like seventeen, you know, nineteen twenties um, uh, movie with uh, starring, you know, uh, Bing Crosby or something like that. You got to batten down the hatchets. Except for the fact that he was being for real. He's like, you know, pray if you pray, call your family if you call your family. Literally, these were the things he's saying. You need to put the boat in order and get it as in good a shape as possible and get things stowed. You need to make sure that it's not going to leak water and you need to sail as fast as you possibly can which was still only six or seven knots, right? So we had five days out, but within two or three days out, we're gonna hit the spot and just, and there was no place we could go. Ships are coming through in the middle of the night because we're in the shipping lanes every like 24 hours. At one point, we have to radio one to make sure they don't run us over, but they're moving at like 20, 30 knots, right? What makes this relevant is this, I keep seeing in the news or on Facebook, the commentary that says, we're all in the same boat, right? Or it's April, middle of April in 2020, and we're in the middle of this pandemic that's just, that's surreal. It's like we're living through a movie, and, and uh, but we can get through this. We're all in the same boat. And I call bull crap because we're not all in the same boat. Um, we are all in the same storm. And there's a lot of us that are in way different boats. Matter of fact, we're in the same storm, but some of our boats are in different parts of the ocean altogether. Everybody's getting through this in a completely different way. And yes, we'll get through it together. I get that positive uh, commentary, but there are some of us that are way more comfortable and much better off in this storm than there are others. Um, and I'm sympathetic to that because I feel very grateful for where I am currently in this storm. Um, and I know that there's probably some people around me that are in a different boat. And I've been in a boat where we thought we were gonna die and it was dire and there's promises being made to God and there's all sorts of things that are happening that don't happen on your day-to-day -day routine. And there's anxiety and feelings that you can't explain to anybody ever when you're that close to death. There's just things that happen inside of your soul that there's probably happening to neighbors of mine, which breaks my heart. Um, and I think it's important for us to be sympathetic to that and 
important for us to be realistic to the fact that everybody's in a different boat. What does that have to do with place? Well, the boat is our place. And right now we're all starting to see how place shapes our lives differently, how we engage differently. Um, we have kids around, parents around more than we expected or, or normally used to. Our privacy is being challenged. Um, and we're starting to look at our place in a completely different way. We're looking at our place through a new set of eyes and a new experience. And I think in a mobile society where we have the ability to go somewhere, be uncomfortable and then move and then be uncomfortable and move, and that's now taken away from us, it's forcing us to look at our place through a new perspective. Um, we're looking at it now as to whether or not it is beautiful and when we identify with it and whether or not it supports and secures us, which we call ethic in academia, or if there's loved ones and their family and there's security. Um, some of you are probably going through spiritual experiences within your place. Um, and as we talk and learn about place, or as I talk and learn about place, and as we talk to Mark in the next segment, I feel or hope that this journey that I'm on within studying place, whether I'm studying place within the context of our, uh, our country or our state or our county or our town, um, as I go through this journey, I'm hoping that this is a helpful piece to contribute to your own journey with place and your own understanding of how you interact with the world around you. Um, and there are some people right now that are in the small leaky sailboat crossing the ocean in the storm who have a completely different uh, version of what their place is, how they feel secure, um, how they feel comfortable, whether or not they're close to loved ones or whether or not in their middle of the ocean and they're all the way away from their family. Um, and then there's some of us that are on the big ship where the waves feel 100th the size of the guy in the little boat. And you might feel really secure, but you're still analyzing what your place is and you still have the responsibility of engaging with that place. It's a very complex, believe it or not, it's a complex topic that gets deep into the human emotions as well as beauty and design. And it is a really interesting journey. And in the next segment here, Mark and I are gonna to start to unpack that a little bit more. And I hope that you enjoy that. I wanna welcome Mark back because we had a long conversation and um, we uh, took a little too long but not too long because it was good stuff, but there's, I wasn't done with Mark yet. And I have, and I have more to pull from Mark because, because the name of this podcast is Place by Design, right? And you very much consider yourself a placemaker as much as anybody else. You teach placemaking studio, which I've joined you in with some co-teaching with my uh, landscape class. Um, and I would like to just find out like what that means to you. Like, what does that mean to you? I mean, like how's place different than house or, I mean, that's kind of an obscure. Well, I think it's, I think the analogy is that a home is more than a house. That was one of the themes of Renaissance kids when you're okay. a home is more than a house. And it's, it's you know, the house is a thing. The home is a meaningful thing. Right. It's meaningful as it relates to how we live. Uh, how we 
affect architecture, but especially how does architecture affect us? So okay. uh, architecture, you know, in more recent years, I've been just landing on um, a mantra that I've, I'm try I've, you know, trying to poke holes in it, but I'm using it as a measure for success for students' works. And it is that, um, you know, there's a given, architecture should be firm and useful and delightful. Okay. Uh, those are, that's a tri tri triad um, concept by Marcus Vitruvius, you know, 2000 years old. But architecture should connect us to nature. It should connect us to each other and it should connect us to choices. And if any and all drawings can answer to those three principles at the same time, who's to complain? I mean, as long as it's still beautiful, delight, you know, delightful, firm, and, and useful. So, right. um, so nature, I, it, nature, you said, it, the, what's the nature? Connect us with nature, each other, and choices. Okay. So nature we would call biophilia, right? Generally mm -hmm. speaking. Yeah. And then, and then people, um, so that's social society, right? And, and, and social sciences and then choices. So that's, is that, is that triad of placemaking something that you've invented or is that something that you've pulled from other things? Where does this come from? There's a video, a film called Biophilia, mm -hmm. in the architecture of life. Yeah, yeah. And in the middle of this video, I pulled out, it's like, oh, you know what? I've been listening to kids and people forever say, you know, architecture's role is to protect us from nature. Architecture's role is to protect us from the environment. Architecture's role is to protect us from, and every time they say from, oh yeah, you know, it's supposed to keep us dry in the, in the rain, right. warm in the winter, et cetera. And in this film, one person said, architecture should connect us with nature. I thought, oh, wow. It's like one, it was like, aha, yeah. Right. How you say it. I mean, placemaking is also about how do you frame the problem? So if I say, build me a house and protect me from nature, it's, we know it's going to have walls and a roof. But if I say, can build us a house and connect me to nature, then I'm now talking about views out and ways to just step out into the landscape and be connected. And when I have choices, you know, I can, but now I'm, adding you know depth and layers of of quality to to the experience that you know the clients are um are going to measure the success of the house okay so how does that tie into the whole client thing like i mean like i've got clients that um have you know upstairs patios and they live in the city i got clients that have 500 acre estates every client has a different perspective of nature of people and choices right so from a programming perspective is there a way you can wrap that into um a program driven uh design or i mean how does that uh, play in there? well you're asking i think it, how does it play into the variety of types of places that people build and so you know let's say you're designing a friend one of a student a, four, a fifth year student currently is designing a house where uh, he's dining, designing a kitchen in our kitchens and bath class, and the house has a kitchen which is entirely central to the home, and it has no outside exposure to light. And so my first question was, can you put in a skylight? Right. And he's right. Like, 
no, not really, it doesn't seem feasible um, for, for their budget. But he has finally opted to pull, to drop one whole wall that separates that um, space from the living room. He's taking out that wall, and now he has some exposure to daylight and right. some views out. And right. so that's, that's just like blown, um, you know, I think it's gonna blow the client's mind that, that they now have, um, they don't see the kitchen as this tightly bound, um, you know, small space within the house. It's now sort of opened up. Right, right. Um, so, so it's a matter of you know, exposing people to natural light, exposing people to music. Might even be having bringing plants indoors. So if you can't connect people to the outside, then you yep. create an interior. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of empirical data that talks about that, like students who are studying just a picture of a tree on the wall. I looked at some data at one point a couple of years ago that was um, it was I think it was I think it was taking patients with getting their appendix out at hospitals. And they and they set like 20 of them up in interior rooms and then 20 of them up that had a view of a tree and those that very basic surgery, you know, it's it's pretty standard like 30% faster they healed those who could actually see uh, nature, which is just phenomenal, which, you know, so like there's data that backs it up, but. Sure, Richard, but we Richard, still Love's, have... book, Richard Love's book, the, the Nature Principle. Yes. And, uh, lost Child in the Woods or something like that. It is the Lost um, Child in the Woods, nature deficit disorder that for the viewing audience is not a real disorder, but. Um, yeah, but he has but doctors describing nature time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For for kids, take you know, get that kid outside, and uh, that that kid that has ADHD or depression, get him outside, give him some nature time. So it is. Around. It is interesting to me as as a landscape architect type talking to an architect type that your definition of placemaking has nature as one of its three legs. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, I think that's pretty interesting and 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 informative. There's, um, well, you can't build. You know, you can't escape environment yeah but we've tried, we've tried to do that for hundreds of years that's the funny thing it's like somebody invented the air conditioner so we didn't have to be uncomfortable and now nobody knows what it sounds like to fall asleep with the sound of peepers going on outside you know right. um, we've reshaped ourselves and our society with architecture and somehow um, distracted us from the fact that we are part of nature as the human being I'll, I'll turn on YouTube and play nature sounds to go to sleep sometimes and you know it's as artificial as it is it's very soothing and oh sure sure like the the, the rainy rainforests and uh the peepers you can find all sorts of crazy white noise on uh you know this probably isn't um what you were looking for but i <laughs> I, was, I had a mosquito in my room last year and i and i like i woke up and i thought this is annoying and i'm going to be up trying to find this thing and i thought hmm i typed in uh, predators of mosquitoes on YouTube and I found sounds <laughs> and I played it I didn't get any more mosquito bites That's and it great. sounded I don't, even know what, I don't even know what kind of animal it was but I had some pretty cool dreams because the sound was like a little clicking sound yeah, and I think yeah. my in my dream I interpreted it as water so I was like dreaming of flooding you know right. a lot of flooding like bats or something you know I read a book a couple of years ago that had to do with um, music and nature and about how music started from nature, you know, the rhythms of the cicada, mm -hmm. the rhythms of the, of the way the birds sing, 
and, and it's like, and they basically tied all of, of music inspiration to thousands of years ago, having the human being adapted to the sounds and the rhythms of nature that it provided, that they took and then turned into the human form of that, which was music. Yeah, love it. Pretty fascinating, pretty fascinating. Um, so then I, I was doing some reading on uh, something about you and, and the term came up sense of place. So, so I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Do you have, do you, in your mind, do you see a difference between sense of place and place making? I mean, what's the difference? Have you ever thought about that? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would absolutely and immediately say they're, they're, they're related, but okay. they are, but they're, they're also conditional um, based on who, um, and this is why I think choice is so important. Um, you know, my sense of place might be different or my desire for a particular kind of sense of place might be different from somebody else's. Now we can all say this is a very tranquil place, but tranquility may not be somebody's um, choice or you know, right. best place. Somebody might need liveliness of an urban center. Right, and right. People, and, um, and so you know, sense of place is going to be subjective. But I think you know, if you ask every client, they're all going to have some desired um, outcome. But I think those are the kinds of questions you have to ask clients that they're not going to be thinking about maybe you know I, I some, didn't. some might be focused on I want a bigger you know I want a bigger living room or I want a bigger you know kitchen right but they're not telling I think we have to get to the questions of why why I, do we want I completely and it's super hard I mean I did a I mean my specialty is is this subject also and I've done quite a bit of work in it and there's a model you know your three-legged model there's actually a model that environmental psychologists use for measuring sense of place, measuring the human connection to spaces, right, in place. Um, and when you start to dig into it, and there's, you know, the four legs are our home, which is like family. One is aesthetics, which is more like your connections to environmental identity, outside, outside beautiful things. One of them is ethic, but ethic really is, is the cognitive connection versus the home, which is the emotional connection. And then there's spirituality. Um, spirituality not in the judo-christian god-centric type of spirituality but more like the awe that a place gives you right and and at one point i worked on trying to come up with how to get that out of a client like i want to make the experience more special for my clients and i want them to connect to a final product in a way that that they've never experienced before and when you start to look at the questions you're asking, it gets super personal, like way beyond what an architect and a landscape architect usually dialogue with their clients about, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. where do you come from? You know, because, you know, I'll give you an example. Like you were, you were hitting the nail on the head just a second ago where it's like different places mean different things to different people. And it's like, well, a woodshed might be this old rustic place in West Virginia that is sentimental to me from where my family comes from, right? unless I got beat in that woodshed, in which case it's, <laughs> which very negative. it's very negative, right? And it's like, so like places have a positive sense of place and a negative sense of place. And um, when you start to have those conversations with the client, man, they're like, whoa, 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 slow down, buddy. 
I don't know. We don't want to witch it. Right. You're not licensed to ask me these questions, you know? But I think you can ask questions that related to use. And generally, as, as I think about design, the meaning of things, the meaning of objects comes from its use, the cultural meaning right, um, right. and the spiritual meaning. It comes from the use of the things. The region. And we're talking about the little things. It could be the doorknob up to you know, the form and shape of the house right, right. and how it sets in the landscape. Yeah. And how does the car use and how does the pedestrian use so um yeah. so if we can focus on those things how do, how do you want to use this space folks right i started to come up with a couple of questions that weren't quite so probing or maybe weren't so obvious kind of like tell me about the most special space that you can think of as a child that you really enjoyed spending time in you know because there's this history that informs what they like and what they don't like um and I'm not, and not every time have they, you know, sometimes they'll describe it and they're like, but I don't want this to look like that. And it's like, okay, that's great. But at least you start to get this like backdrop of who they are. Whereas a lot of times, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, I had this wonderful and the light came in this way and there was these colors and you start to like understand, right? In a different way, what a space means to them and what they're looking for and all of those tacit kind of uh, explorative conversations. Yeah. So can I answer? What's that? <laughs> you know, I was going to say, can I, can I answer your question? Yeah. Um, I, I, there's an essay in a book called Remembrance and the Design of Place by Francis Downing. Yes. I think you can probably discern from that an answer to your question, or at least a response. Um, I did an exploration of my childhood porch on my house. It was a suburban ranch house. Yeah. About it originally was like twelve or thirteen hundred square feet. Six kids. My mom and dad, you know, were expecting the seventh child, so they were going to add four or five hundred square feet of space. So ultimately, they had all this extra space. And they ended up having another child. Um, so we had eight kids in a very small house, relatively speaking. But I did an exploration of what this porch meant to me, and um, I, I we don't have the time to go into it, but. It, there was a revelation that all of my memories where I explored the meaning of that porch, um, I was alone. And oh, really? I, and I, um, and I, I had this revelation, like I, I went into a, kind of a lucid dream kind of exploration of this place. And um, when I went to reach, I was physically, or I wasn't physically there, but I was mentally, I was there. It was like a dream. Yeah. Right, right. And I, I reached for the doorknob and I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to open it. And it took me actually two years to explore this. Frances oh was a little frustrated because she was saying, like, look, it's a 10 minute exercise. Just do the exercise. Um, and it, it, the essay, and then there was a drawing attached to the, the, the her, her request for contribution to this book. And, um, and I realized after finally analyzing it, oh my gosh, as soon as you open the door, of your childhood home, you cease to be an individual. Uh, and so all of my explorations were, I was alone. And it took me to really physically and think about it analytically. I, I was just exploring my own identity um, as it relates to who I am as an individual and who I am as a, as a sibling or as a son sure. uh, or as a sure. And And um, it was pretty interesting. It was, a, it was for me, 
an important exploration in architecture if I'm going to be a placemaking professor. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a court, you know, it, it was again a very simple, very um, house, but it was home. It, you know, right. it's a very right. meaningful place. And it goes back to that idea of how do you use the, the how do I use the porch? I now use it in my memory. Right. And, right. and so, you know, I use it as a child, I use it with my siblings, but what was most meaningful and what I pulled out of that as a person was what it meant to my identity. Uh, that's fascinating. Uh, that's fascinating. So identity is, is part of the leg on this placement measure. Identity is the aesthetic side of it. You very often have an aesthetic identity. But anyway, we, I, I need to share that with you at some point. Um, okay. We could talk about this forever. But I, I think we could. I think we actually could. I kind of feel like we should talk about it in a little bit more professional, professorial setting. Because I've got some fascinating stuff that I've been pulling up from some empirical articles. And um, uh, it's where I get myself, I get myself lost in that topic. Like that's like, I describe, I try to get my students to unpack what passion means for them, right? And they can never do it. And finally I have to answer the question. All right, when you forget to poop or eat, whatever you're doing, you're doing your passion, right? That's like, that's when you're doing your passion, when you forget to like fulfill some of those, uh, those necessary needs in your life. Um, this is that topic where all of a sudden lunch has come and gone and I, and it's two or three in the afternoon and I'm still digging through some papers and writing some notes down. And um, we need to get together again and talk about this. Maybe outside somewhere where we can like look at different places. What do you think about that? Love it. All right. Well, listen, thanks for coming again today. You are now a two-week famous podcast person. Well, I hope that was as, as entertaining for you as it was for me, because um, I did enjoy that conversation. And I think I will be coming back to him again to expand on it, which brings me to a point. I've been informed that maybe my podcast is a little bit boring. And my response to that is, yes. Um, this podcast will not have mud tires or a drama of reality TV with people screaming at each other and ripping each other's hair out. Um, and I'm doing that on purpose. We sat down and we had a conversation about what names could be used. Well, it could be Design Addict. It could be From Fairly. It could be, it could be Garth's Place or Garth's Space, which turned into G-Spot which my wife and I took a great deal of laughter out of while my boys vomited in their own shirts, um, which we then moved on to all the other options that my name could be. And we circled back around to place by design because I don't want to sensationalize. We can sensationalize on the news. You get sensationalism everywhere. What I want to do is I want to give you fair, educated, informed information. Um, the more we nurture the sensationalization of uh, topics, the more we're gonna have conversations about fake news. This is not fake. This is not reality. Wait, wait a minute. This is reality. And now all of a sudden we're going to war with truth. And from here, I hope that you get truth. I hope you do enjoy yourself. And I do hope that you remember what boat you're in, in this storm. 
and uh, be caring of the people around you. If you're interested in Renaissance Kids or know somebody who might be interested, I encourage you to go to andrews.edu backslash renkids to find out more about Mark and his programs. Thank you for watching another episode of Place by Design. I'd like to thank my team at Rootbound for their continued support. Of course, we also thank our generous guests that join us on the edge of the lake. Please share if you enjoyed yourself and plan to come back for more. And don't go away mad, just go away. <laughs>